And our third speaker is Kira Gorman from Leeds <coughs> University. Um, and Kira is currently a candidate for the MA in French at, uh, at the New Theorem, where she completed her undergraduate degree in French in law. She intends to pursue a PhD in French in the near future so that she may pursue a third level teaching career. Her areas of research include the detective novel and women's writing. And the topic of her MA thesis is Louis XIV iconology in the current French presidency. And her paper today is Black Butterfly Maternal Mutation Narratives in French Art House Cinema. Uh, hi, everybody. Nice to be the token woman on the panel this morning. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, so the paper that I'm going to present today is going to examine the representation of motherhood on screen by way of three French indie films from 2011 and 2012. This conference is about how we represent and how we commemorate the stories from groups within society who have typically been unheard or invisible. The call for papers for the conference even cited movements like Me Too and I Believe Her, um, during which survivors of sexual violence and aggression, mostly women, laid bare their stories of trauma to, in the name of discourse on power dynamics within patriarchy. But not every story of feminine trauma, repression or marginalization is suitable for a hashtag on Twitter. There are some stories that still cannot find acceptability within mainstream culture that remain relegated to the art house or the fringe, possibly because of an unwillingness on the part of society to engage with, uh, read about, or watch the kind of issues that these stories bring to the fore. In recent years, the voice of the mother has been increasingly heard, mostly in literature, where we've had an explosion in works that dissect the maternal experience in all of its good and bad aspects, its joy, its struggle, its power. But we haven't had a parallel surge in the depiction of these stories, particularly the ones where motherhood is a negative experience on the mainstream screen. So while the voice of the mother may not necessarily be unheard any longer, it does continue to go largely unseen. The three films that I'm gonna to talk to you about today, um, A Happy Event, Our Children and 17 Girls, aim to give a scene dynamic to alternative stories of motherhood stories of maternal struggle, of trauma, and of rebellious transformation. I'd first like to situate these three films within larger myths about mothering, because of all the roles that women are socially conditioned to undertake within society, that of mother is probably one of the most complicated. It's steeped in rules and myths that both describe and proscribe particular behaviors in the woman turned mother. We may expect, for example, motherhood to be the defining moment in a woman's life when she attains true womanhood, or a period that's supposed to be joyous, but simultaneously demands explicit and difficult extreme self-sacrifice. The conflation of motherhood and womanhood has been deconstructed and then reaffirmed in successive feminist waves, but what has remained clear is that motherhood as an institution is hugely affected by cultural artifacts that represent and reinforce its tropes. And those art artifacts might be political propaganda, books, and films. These artifacts are always in dialogue with the status quo of the issue at hand, motherhood. They either uphold it or they work to destabilize it by presenting alternative viewpoints or experiences. Our three films actively work to undermine many myths about motherhood. But the one that I'm gonna focus on today is this idea that 
motherhood is always and only a time of really positive transformation for the, in this case, cisgender women who experience it. The maternal transformation is expected to take place on multiple levels. It's supposed to bring a positive physical change to the woman, um, positive mental changes, positive collective changes for the couple, family in question, and for society as a whole. Each one of our films questions these aspects in turn. I'm going to start with uh, 2011's A Happy Event, um, which challenges the myth of positive physical transformation in pregnancy. We're all familiar with the tendency to kind of fetishize and glamorize the pregnant body. Um, you only have to think of Demi Moore's like extravagant nude um, photo shoot um, or the obsessive media coverage of celebrity pregnancy like Kim Kardashian's, stuff like that. We tend to mythify pregnancy as this time in a woman's life when she luxuriates in this kind of glowing femininity, when she becomes really beautiful and curvy all at the same time, uh, transforming into this beautiful, bountiful earth mother figure. But that's not really the image that we get in a happy event. The main character, Bab, is a PhD student. Um, she decides to have a baby with her partner, Nico. And when she confirms her pregnancy, there's this like nice little voiceover that describes her dreams about the next nine months as a time of blossoming and increasing fulfillment. And that voiceover continues even as the scene abruptly switches to Bab throwing her guts up in the toilet. And then later on, as she's like staring kind of dead-eyed into the fridge, her hair is a mess, she's very listless and grumpy. The easy pregnancy that Bab dreamed of in this voiceover is marked from the outset as just that, a dream. At no point in the film does Bab's body uh, achieve this kind of glorious metamorphosis. There's fluids of all kinds, there's unruly desires, um, a very heavy belly that requires constant negotiation, stops her sleeping properly or comfortably, um, kind of impedes her in walking comfortably. And these aren't the kind of images that we normally see expressed or put onto like the glossy cover of a magazine. They're totally unsuitable because they're messy, because they're real, they're not positive. They, can, they could be read as a negative depiction of how pregnancy and motherhood seriously impacts the, the physical aspects of a woman. In the same way, the film challenges the romanticized notion of childbirth as a beautiful pain, uh, a handy label that deftly covers the, the pain, the terror, the risks of bringing a child into the world, uh, the ripping apart and the sewing back up. During her delivery, uh, Bab's visibly in agony and she asks in a voiceover why nobody ever warned her that this is what it was gonna be like. Not even her mother really told her what it was gonna be. Um, and in the delivery room, she's contorted, floppy, hysterical, frightened, uh, very sweaty. She suffers too in new motherhood. Um, and we're, we're progressively shown scenes in the film where she's like, slumped over her desk trying to work on her PhD while the baby screams in the background. Um, she's really struggling to measure up to or deal with societal expectations for how she's gonna be during pregnancy that shames her for choices to breastfeed or not, to use a breast pump or not. Her body in pregnancy and motherhood is no longer her own. Um, it becomes the property of society and of her baby. Um, she never really turns into this kind of like omniscient, uh, perfectly capable butterfly mother that society has conditioned her to expect will emerge from the cocoon of pregnancy. 
The film does end on a happy note, and it is to be noted that in many parts this is a very light-hearted film, um, but it really highlights the pernicious nature of a myth that kind of sells motherhood as this wonderful physical transformation um, without really acknowledging the, the danger and the upset and the upheaval that it can cause. Um, a happy event presents the physical changes of pregnancy uh, in kind of a very humorous and honest way, so different to the glossy and typically blossoming images that we receive from mainstream visual culture. Our second film, Our Children, um, is the story of Bab through the looking glass. That is to say, a story about what happens when the pressure engendered by the myth of positive maternal transformation makes motherhood into a prison. Where a happy event depicted the physical side of motherhood, our children is way more focused on the psychological transformation that maternity can produce. Muriel and Munir are the main couple, and over the course of the film, they have four children um, who are later at the center of the tragedy of infanticide that occurs in, in the kind of last 10, 15 minutes of the film. The film unfolds in an extended flashback. Um, Muriel and Munir start their life together. They're very happy. Her first pregnancy brings them a lot of joy and fulfillment. But as her family grows, Muriel's mental health deteriorates. The healthy and glowing woman of the early scenes becomes visibly more haggard, distressed, exhausted. There are scenes where she's trying to like tidy the house or cook dinner, one child in her arms, three others screaming for her from another room, uh, her husband ignoring them or complaining that she's not looking after them properly or skipping off to Morocco to take a break. Um, and you'll notice that the stills I chose here are quite dark. I didn't lighten them on purpose because in my opinion, the gradually darkening cinematography of this film is intended to uh, reflect the gradually darkening state of Muriel's mental health. Um, during motherhood, Muriel becomes a shadow of herself instead of her best self, as the myths would have us believe is gonna happen to her. Um, her eyes get darker, her skin gets much paler, she's visibly terribly afraid. And the violence of her stress and depression cause two outbursts that are actually really uncomfortable viewing. Uh, one, as she weeps for three minutes to a song in the car, and the camera is on her face the whole time. You can't look away, and it's the same when she has another outburst at her children's school play, and like the unease of the other people around her is easily felt in the viewer's own body. Equally uncomfortable is the scene where, visibly distressed and emotional, she confides in her father-in-law, who she thinks that she can trust, only for him to pathologize her completely normal feelings of stress and depression as the feelings of a weak and incapable mother who shouldn't expect anything else from her life having had three children. The car in which they're speaking seems to shrink around Muriel. She's as trapped by her environment and by her own feelings of despair as she is by societal myths about what feelings are appropriate for mothers to feel during the undeniable upheaval, both mental and psychological, um, or sorry, both mental and physical, that motherhood occasions. The final tragic act of this film takes place off screen. Um, one by one, Muriel calls her children to her in a very loving tone, and the scene ends with her 999 call, um, which is impossible to scrub from your brain. She can complete her suicide attempt, and one of, her last, uh, one of our last images is of her face in the hospital, haunted, traumatized, but alive. In folklore, literature, and film, the murdering mother is often thus, left alive, 
as a testament to the horror of her actions, but also as a testament to the falsity of a myth that says motherhood can only transform you for the better, leaving no room for experiences to the contrary. We can interpret Muriel's survival at the end of this film as both punishment and as evidence, proof of an alternative reality, as in reality, where mothering is a site sometimes of struggle and sometimes of destructive rather than positive change. Our Children is a heart-wrenching film. It's very difficult to watch, but it's very necessary. We don't normally see stories of infanticide represented on screen in this way. Despite the terribly misleading English translation of the title, the children are actually kind of incidental to this story. Muriel is the focus, and she's patently not a villain. The, the story of her depression and the origins of her feelings is really carefully traced throughout the struggle that she's feeling as a mother and society's general indifference um, to their dreadful conclusion. Our children, in my opinion, gives voice to every mother who has struggled with feelings of pressure and ambivalence, which society has in turn pressured her to hide. Feelings with, without, without visual or literary voicing in this way may turn inward and destroy her. Our final film, 17 Girls, is in many ways a much lighter film. Uh, it's about 17 secondary school aged girls who all decide that they're, they're gonna get pregnant at the same time um, and are determined to raise their children in a feminist matriarchal utopia. Um, Fiona Handyside, in a presentation on this film a couple of years ago in Exeter, uses the word quote unquote luminosity to describe it and it's one that I'm gonna borrow here um, because indeed the girls at the center of this alternative teen pregnancy story are luminous. Their bodies glow, there's no traumatizing images of labor, there's no throwing up, there's none of the physical stuff that we saw in, in the first film, A Happy Event. Um, Handyside also noted that the backdrop is intimately connected to the girl's pregnancy because the sea, la mer, is connected to the mother's, la mer, and there's a real sense of like a positive time of rejuvenation, not just for the girls, but for the town they inhabit. So, on the surface, 17 Girls seems to really affirm this myth that motherhood brings a really positive physical transformation. But there's something not quite right about this film um, that makes it slip out of the confines of the myth and undercut it, make it unstable. What marks 17 Girls as different is the way the transformative power of motherhood is harnessed and then used. We're familiar with lines of thinking that say, teen pregnancy is a mistake that young girls who get pregnant are throwing away the rest of their lives, or their potential careers, that kind of stuff. We're also familiar with lines of thinking that heap guilt upon women in their late 30s or 40s who have either decided not to become mothers or who are now trying to become mothers. They get questions about whether they regret their decisions about and condescending remarks about how they left too late. So it seems that there's only a certain time in a woman's life when motherhood becomes acceptable so after school, when education and job prospects are prioritized, and also after your 20s, when you've given your most energetic years to capitalist systems of productivity, and certainly before you get too old and your fertility starts to, to decline. This is called the top girl script, and the 17 girls in this film flip it. Their voluntary, deliberate pregnancies shock everyone in their school and community. Not only are they teens and pregnant, but they did this on purpose. They reclaim motherhood on their own terms, by their bodies and by the status that impending motherhood brings to them. They systematically dismantle patriarchal and capitalist inflected systems of control that surround them. 
Their motherhood will provide them with income from the state in forms of social welfare. They have no use for father figures, intending to mother in a collective feminine utopia. And they're suddenly like beyond the reach of school rules, like PE classes, the nurses. And even when their parents try to discipline them as children, there's a real dissonance between that kind of parental control attitude and the very adult look of their pregnant bodies. The 17 girls offer a counter-narrative to the myth of motherhood as a time of peaceful, positive transformation. We have this image of like motherhood being a time when girls metamorphose definitively into women, graceful, tranquil, accepting the change in their circumstances. But the maternal transformation is far from peaceful here. It's weaponized, it's subversive, it's revolutionary because it's reclaimed, it's dangerous because it's being used. The maternal metamorphosis in this film is transformative, not just on an individual level for the 17 girls in question, but on a collective level. It shakes up their town, it shakes up societal myths, it shakes up everybody in the audience watching it. This is like teenage rebellion, all right. Um, we do get scenes like this where they're all in the car and they're like, long live chocolate, heroin and vodka, while all being pregnant, right? So like there's a real dissonance between <laughs> this kind of attitude and what we expect from mothers, how they should look, how they should act, the kind of attitudes they should have. Via motherhood, the girls aren't just challenging their parents' authority, they're taking on school, capitalism, patriarchy, societal expectations for mothers at the tender age of 17. Motherhood in this film becomes a tool of insurgency against surveillance from authority, be it at home or at school, against timelines for specific life events that have been determined by capitalist patriarchy. Just as cinema can be a site of resistance against systems of oppression by like portraying alternative or hidden viewpoints, uh, this film shows clearly that motherhood can also be too, and that a mother's place is firmly within that resistance. So, in conclusion, all of our films challenge pervasive and destructive film, uh, myths about motherhood um, that we rely on to kind of explain away stuff that we don't understand. That's why we have myths in the first place, um, or stuff that like, we're not comfortable engaging with. It's my suggestion that the indie film scene has more scope to explore and be daring. So while these films aren't like blockbusters or mainstream in any way, they, they do give a feeling of being seen uh, to stories that have only really begun to be heard. They open the door to, in what is in my opinion, a more nuanced and much braver understanding of the reality of motherhood and are therefore texts not just of exploration, but of liberation and resistance. <laughs>